the uh, children's church at this time. And the rest of us, let's turn to the book of Jude. And certainly that song is the theme of Open Door Bible Baptist Church from day one till Jesus comes back by His grace. There are many false gods in this world. There is much false religion. And uh, what we are endeavoring to do is to make a difference between what is true and what is not and endeavoring to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in truth and by His Word till He comes. In verse 3 of the book of Jude, we look here and it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, Jude has often uh, been called by those who study the Bible the preface to the book of Revelation. And Jude is just one short chapter. If you want to know who Jude was, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. Uh, in reality, the half-brother to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not one of the twelve apostles. He was one of the uh, leaders in the church at Jerusalem. His older brother James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, as we read in uh, Acts chapter 15. But Jude here was writing a letter to Christians and he was talking about giving all diligence to write of the common salvation. And what he simply meant by that is the salvation that Jesus gives, there is only one salvation. If you are saved, we are saved the same way Peter and John, the disciples were saved. We have the same faith and we want to follow that faith. There, there are many people that argue, well, my church is the oldest. My church is the oldest. And, uh, and uh, well, my church isn't the oldest, but the oldest church got all messed up and my church straightened it out. Uh, Jesus said that he would build his church. Can we say amen to that? And that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. By that we understand that Jesus said from that moment, Matthew chapter 16, there would be in existence a church meeting in one place with the doctrine and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And history gives more than ample evidence that that is true if you want honest history. It's not an organization. I am so glad that uh, uh, I can tell you that the headquarters uh, of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church is right here. Uh, this is all the farther we go. We are responsible as a church directly to the Lord Jesus Christ for how we practice 
for what we believe, for what is taught, and, and how we live. You see, our religion is not just in words. It's in deed and in truth. And Jude is saying, listen, I'm giving all diligence here. Uh, and, and we understand that Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the Holy Ghost moved on these men, and the words that are here uh, did not override their personalities. It was not a straight dictation, but what it was was God choosing His Word through His men. And He said, if I'm going to give all diligence to give to you the gospel message, and there only is one, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I must challenge those who name the name of Jesus to earnestly contend for the faith. You see, the devil's greatest work is not in whatever that Dawkins guy's name who says there is no God or whatever his name is, uh, and uh, used to be Carl Sagan and billions and billions and billions of stars, and, and uh, what is it, Bill Nye, the science guy that says the Bible is not true. That that's, gives people who want an excuse not to believe in God an excuse. That's, that's all they do. You know where the devil's greatest work is? It's in changing the Word of God so little that people will accept the lie for the truth. That is the devil's greatest work. Is when people will stand in a pulpit and they'll pick up a Bible and they'll teach just a little bit of the truth. Just enough to make it sound good, but just enough is missing that you'll never find true salvation. That is the devil's greatest work, my friend. And that is why Jude said that we must earnestly contend for the faith. That if we're going to, to do this, we, we have got to put forth every effort. The, the word is diligence. Let me read you the definition of persons constant in application, preser preserving in endeavor, assiduous, Industrious, not idle, not negligent, not lazy. Diligence is constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent application and endeavor. Now, uh, the word diligence is a word that is almost lost in our society today. Well, I did the best I can. Can I ask you a question? 
if the best you can is okay, then why do we have schools? Why, why do we have trade schools? If the best you can is okay, why do we have um, uh, people that not only go and graduate school, but have to work in an apprenticeship for years after they finish school? Oftentimes people say, oh, you graduated Bible college, you're, you're, you're ready for the ministry. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you're not ready for anything except to get started, amen? You see, the difference between true Christianity and the many false imitations thereof is true Christianity begins at salvation. False Christianity gives a hope that someday you may obtain salvation. And of course you never can. You can't know. Uh, I love the Calvinist. They finally become honest enough. They teach that God is the one responsible for salvation and that you have no choice. If you're part of the elect, you go to heaven. If you're part of the unelect, you go to hell. And God made the choice and you don't have anything to say about it. And number two, if you're part of the elect, you cannot undo that. You are saved forever. But you can't know until you get to heaven. Now, if that makes sense to anybody in this auditorium, please, please, I, I beg you, see me afterwards. We'll set up some counseling. We'll try to help you understand the foolishness of such lawyerly logic. can't even say it right. That's what Calvin was. He was a medieval lawyer. If you want to know why I despise Calvinism, it's simply that. Look what lawyers have done to the American justice system over the last 30, 40 years. Sick. We, we don't need lawyers. We need living. Can we say amen to that? And you see, this word diligence is a constant application and preserving a continual living of the things that the Bible teaches. We celebrated our 25th anniversary. You know what that means? That means we've actually begun the 25th year of our church's existence. Now, that's a milestone. But do you know in 25 years of preaching... I've never preached one new sermon. I've never brought forth one new truth. That everything that I've done is just explaining what's already written down. And, and if I'm not careful, I'll get discouraged. Because how many of us have struggled 
to be obedient to the things that are in the Bible this week, since Sunday. Well, wait a minute. I'm looking out and I see some people that have been sitting here. I mean, my wife's been here since day one. She's listened to almost every sermon I've preached. And she still raised her hand and said she's having problems. You know, maybe I'm a failure. Because if she doesn't get it, is anybody else going to get it? Wait a minute. Are you following me this morning? Are we together? We have an endeavor. We have a life to live. And it's going to be a struggle each and every day until Jesus takes us home. Nothing new. We have the faith that was once delivered. And we've got to contend for that faith. It's being diluted. Uh, I was discussing with uh, Rachel and Leland. They were talking about the Bible college that I went to and, and, and said that the problem with that Bible college, the reason it went down, someone offered this excuse, was that they only hired their own students and they kind of inbred. And that's what destroyed the college. And, and I said, no, that's not what destroyed the college. It wasn't the fact that they only hired their own... It was the fact that they crossbred with the world and they brought what was in the world into the college in theology, in their attempt to uh, have their academics. They, they allowed the world or the accrediting agency to measure the academics and it destroyed the college because what we have delivered once unto the brethren by Jesus Christ is not out there. Those people out there, the world, the religionist, cannot help you serve Christ. That's a choice you must make individually. Where? In His church. You cannot serve Christ apart from His church. What we are doing here this morning is the most important thing for the preservation of our country, our society, our families, and our individual lives. It's connected to the church. We're connected to each other. And this contention for the faith, this making a division between right and wrong, is a constant Application that must be made or we will lose our identity. We've talked about so much about union, the building and all of the work that needed to be done. But the history of the church, what they did way back in the 40s, the board of trustees kind of got in their mind that, well, the pastor, all he does is preach. And so why don't we go to the chaplain school, chaplain's college that was then at uh, Fort Hamilton, where the military chaplains are, are, are trained 
and, and let's get them to come and do the preaching for us for free, and we'll give them a chance to exercise and learn how to preach better, and we'll get a free preacher. Well, after about 20 years of that, the college closed down and the church was reduced to a handful full of people. You want me to tell you why? You see, in our church, we have it organized where the pastor is the chairman of the board of trustees. You know why? Because the pastor's supposed to lead the church. That's the way God set it up. And when you turn your back on the things of the Bible, when you stop earnestly contending, when you stop making a difference between what goes on out there in the world and what goes on in here in the church, you lose. You lose your identity. You lose the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You lose everything. And on this last Sunday, I'd like to, I reminded our men in our prayer breakfast this morning. I've been here for all 25 years of the church. And, and I would have to say that 2017 has been the most difficult of all those 25 years. We've had a lot go on. We've sent out several families. We sent Brother Franz and his family to, to the Bronx, and then the Riveras are up there, and, and uh, that's seven regular attendees of the church. And their offerings are up there now, and they need to be. Amen? Brother John's having some problems with his eyesight and driving is getting very difficult for him. And the Lord just put some things together and, and, hey, I'm praising the Lord. But there's a gap that needs to be filled. And we've had some things happen that aren't so nice this year. But you know why they happen? Because we're trying to follow this verse right here. We cannot allow the faith to be diluted by any individual or any personal agendas or anything, period. We've got to follow what the Bible teaches, my friend. Or we won't have a church. And so I want you to follow with me as we do a little Bible study on diligence. Uh, we're not going to look at every reference, of course. That, that would uh, take a month of Sundays. Might not be a bad idea, but right now, let's just go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And this two years ago was our, our theme verse, I, I believe, and, and uh, preached a lot about that. And, and uh, we're going to be working on uh, 
honing down some theme verses for 2018 as it's quickly approaching. Um, a lot of things have hindered us in, in that, but uh, we're, we're going to keep moving. But look at verse 6. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them. What's that last phrase? That diligently seek Him. Do you know there's a lot of people seeking God but not very diligently. And they find a God. You need to understand the world is full of gods. And there are so many volunteers to be God. We call them politicians and social workers and do-gooders. If you let them... You know, I don't know what else society is supposed to do when a person chooses to stop living or chooses to try to hurt themselves. You've got to stop that somehow. And they normally end up in a psychiatric center and then they're assigned a social worker and usually lots of heavy-duty meds to numb their minds so they can't think the way they should and people think for them. and, And it's a terrible, terrible existence. But people choose that existence because they don't want to seek God. Because they don't want the answers that God has. I've often had people, wow, your kids are so good. How do you do it with all those kids? I got one and it's driving me crazy. And my first thought is, you really don't want to know the answer to that. You, you would not like the answer. Because I'm going to get this book out and I'm going to say, you know, this book has some things about what parents ought to do to children. And how to raise them and watch over them. And it, it takes diligence. I remember my wife and I thinking, wow, we're, we're sending our first one off to college and Maybe things are going to get a little easier. No, the bigger they get, the bigger the problems are. And that's okay. Because I have no intentions of ever being anything less than dad to my kids. All of them. And when they're 60 years old, if I'm still putting around in my wheelchair, I'm still going to be dad. I'm not going to sacrifice that because that's a God-called and God-given responsibility. You know what? Same thing works for being pastor. Sometimes it's not fun to be pastor. Sometimes it's downright miserable. But you know what? God didn't call me to be preacher only when it's fun or only when it's easy. You see, this idea of diligently seeking God. Uh, I've heard testimony so many people over the years. Well, I've always felt close to God. Okay, well, that may or may not be true. Those are feelings. That's not truth. The truth is there must come a point in your life where you stop just being satisfied with what is out there 
and diligently seek Him, finding what is true and what is false. Uh, I've given the testimony many times of a, uh, a young Jewish man that got saved years ago and, and, and uh, he actually visited our services a couple weeks ago and he came to this point, he said, if I agree with what the Bible says, he said, I have to admit that every family member I know of is in hell today. And the only answer I could give him was this. That's right. But it says, let God be true. And every man a liar. Or are you going to allow the lies of men to influence your faith in God? If you do, you're not going to be rewarded. Because you're not going to find him. It says, diligently seek Him. You see, God is seeking you, yes. God has done everything for your salvation. But He leaves that responsibility to choose truth in your and your hands alone. We used to have a, uh, a sermon uh, that I do on the paint board out on the streets. And I'd put up across the top of the board, what can keep you out of heaven? And I'd draw a little picture of the church. Can the church keep you out of heaven? No. Can money keep you out of heaven? No. And then the last little square, I drew a stick figure. And I had a little piece of, um, of uh, uh, sticky mirror. It was just a, a little piece of plastic mirror. And I would stick that on the board. He said, you're the only one that can keep you out of heaven. You're the only one that can refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the only obstacle to eternity with Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to fix that. Amen? If you believe only in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why you must come to God. You must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I want you to turn over one page here. It's one page in my Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to move down to verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I can't tell you how many people over the years have walked through these doors and I'll meet them and we'll talk a little bit and they'll say, listen, I'm saved, I know Jesus is my Savior and and I come from such and such a church, and we'll talk a little more, and and uh, and uh, usually baptism will come up and say, well, listen, if it's going to be Bible baptism, it's got to be in a Bible-believing church. If the church doesn't believe the Bible, we we cannot accept that baptism from a church that doesn't teach the Bible the right way. That's that's what we call earnestly contending for the faith, making a difference. We're not trying to be mean or, or uh, uh, prop ourselves up by saying we're better. No, 
the standard is this book. And if you don't meet the standard, well then, that's not baptism because the authority is here. And so, as, as we begin talking, and, and then we've even had people get baptized and join the church, and years later, all of a sudden, they'll come up and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I was never truly saved. Well, well then, that baptism didn't work. We're going to have to do that again because you can only get baptized after you are saved. And you see... People can fail of the grace of God. They'll believe. The Bible talks about those that believe, but not to the saving of the soul. You see, church takes care of that. I've had some over the years say, Pastor, do you have to talk so much about sin and name these things and and make fun of people who who are against the Bible, well, sometimes a, a little bit of sarcasm goes a long way, doesn't it? It, it really sheds uh, a harsh light on the foolishness of false religion. And, and I do not do that lightly, nor do I uh, try to uh, uh, disparage people. But sometimes contending means rebuke. It means pointing out the errors. And you see, if you're sitting in this auditorium this morning and you're not saved, I want to make you uncomfortable with that. I, I, I want to make you look at your soul and say, Hey, maybe what I have was not diligently sought for. Maybe it's an imitation. Maybe what I have is not good enough to get me into eternity. You know, one thing I found is people that have a true salvation, they can stand a little pushing. They, they can handle a little questioning. But people who don't have a real relationship with God, they have a glass faith and it shatters. And who's to blame? That mean-spirited, hateful preacher. Oh, he, he just, he, he, he doesn't believe I'm saved. Well, I, I'm not the judge, praise God. God is the judge. And if I can make you that nervous about your eternity, don't you think you ought to spend a little diligence checking it out? Can we say amen to that? You see, that's part of what this is all about. You see, God will never fail. He says, if we believe not, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny His own. But those same words... That same person who spoke through the Apostle Paul said, there's going to be many in that day that say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That's preachers. And done many marvelous works, miracle workers. Don't you judge your salvation by what you do. You judge your salvation by the Word of God. 
Did you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you confess Him as the Lord and the Savior? Did you believe that He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and rose again from the dead, proving that He is indeed the very God of gods? That's what the Bible says. Call upon His name. He'll save you. Amen. There's, there's people that lose, that fail. It says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, sometimes we get hurt. And we hold on to that hurt instead of giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what bitterness is. I like Brother Thompson's definition. He said, bitterness is drinking poison, waiting for your enemy to die. That's what bitterness is. It's not going to hurt your enemy unless he drinks it. And if you help them, it's called murder. And I hope they catch you and put you in prison for a very long time. But if you drink the poison waiting for your enemy to die, it's just plain stupid. But bitterness makes fools out of any who embrace it. You see, these are the things that we must look diligently because they will take root in each of our lives, if we're not careful, if we're not watching, if we're not exercising diligence. You see, uh, look at verse 14. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Can, can I challenge you that if you want false religion, here's all you got to do. Find somebody who is seeking arguments. Who is seeking strife. Does anybody remember the foul mouth? vile preacher from Mars Hill pulpit in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I won't even tell you his sobriquet and his nickname because it's, it's, it's so filthy. I would not, I'd be ashamed to repeat it because of the words that he chose. He, he was looking to be the Howard Stern of Christianity. You know what happened? He got fired from his own pulpit because he cussed out a church member. And was dumb enough to record it. You see, we're not seeking strife. We're seeking obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're following holiness. Not acceptance. Not agreement. We're not building bridges anywhere. The only bridge that will reach to eternity is the old rugged cross. And the only thing we had to do with that was driving the nails. I'm done. How about you? 
I'm just going to walk across that bridge that Jesus laid for me. Why do all these new churches drop holiness? It says, without such, no man shall see God. Well, it's because they're not offering a faith that's biblical. And so they look to generate strife. In fact, the man who wrote that purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life, wrote a book on purpose-driven church, and he taught pastors, there's chapters in that book that teach pastors how to start fights with the old people who are standing in the way and drive them out of the church so you can move the rock band in without opposition. Interesting enough, the writer of Hebrews had that one pegged long before Rick Warren was ever born. Strife, holiness, these are the things that people give up. The root of bitterness grows up and we become profane and immoral. You know what profane is? Profanity. It is taking something that is holy and using it commonly. That's what the word profane means. That's why you should never, ever say, Oh my God, or Oh my gosh, or Jesus this, or Oh, Jesus, wow, hey, That is profanity, my friend. You are profaning the name of our God and our Savior. I know it's socially acceptable, but it is not, nor has it ever been biblically acceptable. We must look diligently to stop those things in our lives. Because profanity will lead you away from the Savior. Go with me to 1 Peter, just a few pages. I mean, 2 Peter, I'm sorry. And we've been through this passage recently, so I'm not going to take time to go through the whole passage again. But you see, again, we go back to earnestly contending for the faith. Uh, that faith was once delivered. It is complete. It is intact. We cannot add to it, nor should we take anything away from it. The great division between a true faith and a false faith in Jesus Christ is a false faith (coughs) offers a someday hope-so salvation. A true faith in Jesus Christ offers a lifetime of diligent struggle. Are you ready? If you're saved, hey, we got to look diligently because strife, there are some people that just love to fight. That spirit is not Jesus' spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. I do not like a fight. I do not like confrontation. I know that sounds strange. But I'll tell you this. By God's grace, we're going to keep doing right till Jesus comes back. And if you want to oppose that, well, get ready for confrontation because it's coming. But we're not the ones changing. 
You see, the confrontation comes from the people who want to change things. We just have to keep going in the right direction. Amen? But look at verse 5. It says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Hey, did you understand what Peter's saying here? Your faith is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the starting point. There are things that if you are going to have faith in Jesus Christ, you need to add to that faith. Virtue. What's virtue? Holiness. Purity. We could go into the full definition, but it is a purity that demands purity in the lives of others. That's virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. Oh my. I don't know how else to say it. If everything that everybody thought was in the Bible was actually in the Bible, there'd be no library in the world big enough to hold the book. You have to think about that a minute. But knowledge is knowing what is actually in the book instead of what some liar says is in the book. Or some misguided ignoramus is the word. Uh, you know how you get to be one of those? By spouting your mouth off about things you don't know. And the world is full of people like that. In fact, you're rewarded for being able to talk longer about less. You get elected to political office. Isn't it, doesn't that describe a politician? Someone who can speak more about less than his competitors. And... and uh, But our faith is based on fact. Our faith is based upon what this book says. We need to know who God is. And the God of this Bible is different than all the other gods of all the other religions. In fact, it's different than all the other Christian religions, God. Jesus is different. You've got to know that. And once you get knowledge, then you can get temperance. Have you ever met anybody that was educated above the level of their ability to deal with the education? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that... I'm sorry, that fact is not actually true. If you were to read after Euripides and, and the great Herodias and all the ancient historians, you would find out that there are nuances. I don't care about nuances. I want to know how it's going to help me live today. Can we say amen to that? If it doesn't affect how I'm going to live today, you keep it. I don't need it. The knowledge I want is what's going to help me live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And temperance will help me keep my mouth shut when I'm supposed to. And open it when I'm supposed to. And then comes that lovely word that we all love and hate to exercise. Patience. But that's just the beginning of the list. You see, then comes godliness. 
And then brotherly kindness. And finally, we get to charity. You know, so many religions, they want to start at charity and they have no foundation for it whatsoever. That's why it doesn't work. you got to start at the bottom. And you have to have faith. Virtue. Knowledge. Temperance. Godliness. Oh, we could use a big dose of brotherly kindness. Uh, I wish we could uh, make it into some type of spray and just coat the Grand Central Parkway with it so it goes up your heater vents and everything as you're driving. Uh, Wouldn't a little brotherly kindness on the roads of New York City do some wonderful things? But not going to happen. doesn't work that way. You have to start out with faith. Amen? You see, that's where diligence comes in. It's a constant application. You've got to build these things in your life. But let's look at one more. Skip over to chapter 3 of Second Peter, verse 14. Now, the context here is the end of the world. Jesus is coming back. The destruction of the things that are to set up the kingdom of Christ. And verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. You know what? It's not my job to straighten out the world. It's my job to, through the Bible and my relationship with Christ, to straighten out Pete Montoro, me. The other Peter Montoros are responsible for themselves. You can only be responsible for you in peace. I'm not seeking strife. I don't go looking for people to get in an argument with. I mean, that... that, I will admit, early in the ministry, I, I was always looking for someone to, to do uh, theological fisticuffs with. And, oh, yeah, you bring your religion and, I, and I, I'll put you under. You know what I found out? I could win an argument. But you know what the dumb thing about it was? The other guy thought he won too. You know what that means? We both lost. I use this example. It's well publicized. Bill Nye, the science guy, and Ken Ham got together. Publicized, televised debate. And and the whole world was going to know that evolution is a crock. Everybody that went in believing in evolution left believing in evolution. Everyone that went in believing in God left believing in God. Nobody changed nobody. We call that a lose-lose situation. Because it takes the truth of God and relegates it to an opinion held by man. Nothing could be more demonic than that, my friend. God is not subject to opinion polls. He is God. I'm not going to change the world by fighting the world. I'm going to change the world by fighting me. And then I'll have something to show the world 
if they're interested in knowing who God is and what he can do. Can we say amen? That's peace. Too often, we Christians identify too closely with the world. We're too much a part of the world to show them the difference of Jesus Christ. We're spotted. We're supposed to be clean. Amen? And blameless. Wow. What... What a word. Exempt from censure or blame. Free from charge or reproof. Giving no cause for blame. Undeserving of reproach. Uh, Could I challenge you? There's only one way you can be blameless. It's called walking in the Spirit. It's called living are being conformed to the image of Christ. You see, that's the struggle. We cannot disprove the world by arguing or pointing out the problems with the world's philosophies or thought processes. We defeat the world by staying true to Jesus Christ. Because only that shows them the difference. We would hope that anybody visiting our service would not need to hear this kind of sermon to understand the difference. But every once in a while, we we need to have this kind of sermon. At least I believe we do. We need to be reminded that it doesn't happen by accident. That we must put forth extreme effort... I wish I had time to tell you the story. Most of you think you know it or know parts of it. But Christmas Eve, 1776, George Washington had about one-third of the colonial army. Many of them had rags for shoes were wrapped in blankets for coats, had guns that were far inferior to what was standard military issue, and they crossed the Delaware on a night where the wind chill was down in the single digits, but the actual temperature was high enough that the river didn't freeze. And they had a group of boatsmen from Massachusetts area who guided 2,000 men approximately and cannons across the Delaware River with the ice chunks floating down, threatening to capsize the boats. They were supposed to be at Princeton at daybreak. They didn't get there until 8.30. They didn't have daylight savings time back then. So, I mean, it was several hours after sunset. And contrary to popular belief, the Hessians were not drunken and didn't know what was going on. But they certainly didn't expect George Washington to show up. Over a thousand Hessians were taken captive. 
the entire uh, garrison was routed. The, their commanding officer was killed. If you read your Baptist spread, they had a little story about that, that he had in his pocket the note telling him that George Washington was coming and he didn't read it because he was playing a game of cards. I don't know if that's true or not. It's good for our side, so we'll accept it. Amen? But two men froze to death on the march. You know why they froze to death? Because they were under orders not to make a sound. And they chose to obey orders rather than live. Extreme exhortation. They had as much a part in the victory as the soldiers that fired the cannons, in my opinion. You see, someone might say, well, they failed. No, they obeyed orders until the very end. And when they could no longer obey orders and marched, They laid down in silence and gave their lives to keep others in obedience to the orders. Tell you what, we're free today because of Christmas Eve 1776. Oh, there were a lot of other battles that were fought, but that was the one that turned the tide. That was the one that made the difference. I want you to please consider that when Jude gave all diligence to write about the common salvation, about the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves all men, he said, first, I've got to talk to you that already have that faith, that you will earnestly contend for it. So that's my sermon today. As we face the coming year, let's forget about all these kind of uh, false promises that we know we're going to break as soon as the cookie tray gets passed around or cheesecake is offered. Uh, Let's stop worrying about those things and uh, let's not forget about them entirely, of course, but that's not the primary goal, my friend. The primary goal is to stay true to this book. Let's pray.